Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Going to be talking some USC recruiting with Gerard Martinez, also USC coaching changes with GM. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. We had a bunch of kind of recruiting questions building up. I know we had Gerard on last week, but it was really uh, about a different topic. So we wanted to get a little bit more recruiting today, some of the coaching stuff today with all the assistants being gone, how that impacts recruiting, who USC could bring in for other assistant coaches. So Gerard's uh, great at all that stuff. We're going to talk to him. If you have any questions for us, you can email podcast at uscfootball.com or give us a call at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page. Any questions, try to keep them concise, keep them short, and specifically who you want because we have people on, you know, different people on the show every day, so don't have it for the whole crew because they're not all on the show at the same time. You can also go to iTunes.com slash Podcast. Subscribe to the show that way. Leave us some positive feedback. We really love it. And here's a guy that gets a lot of positive feedback. You can get him on Twitter at GMartLive, like I said, Gerard Martinez. What's up, sir? How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, obviously, a crazy time for USC football. Um, when there's not a crazy time, I guess, is uh, probably less than when there is a crazy time. So we've become used to it. We've become somewhat desensitized to the craziest around Trojan football. Uh, but this is a time of year where normally, you know, recruiting picks up. And now we have a, a sort of a assistant coaching search going on, two different coordinators. USC just fired four assistant coaches, just named new head coach and Clay Helton. Uh, so uh, we're kind of having a convergence of uh, crazy uh, craziness going on with uh, both the team beat and the recruiting. So, um, you know, I kind of get caught in the middle doing both. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> it's converging on me simultaneously. It is. Yeah. I actually tweeted last night, Gerard, because it's been a crazy – few days but obviously been crazy few years but just really specifically last few days um i tweeted last night i'm like i know it's a little early but it looks like we got through an entire day without something crazy happening at usc and uh i didn't want to jinx it or anything but i did get to, i went to bed i woke up this morning nothing new crazy had happened around the program so i was very happy for that and hopefully i think with clay helton as a new head coach and just profiling him. I think he himself is probably going to be a little more predictable than his predecessors. I think, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously there was uh, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of inconsistencies there and in, in sort of how things played out. We obviously see why that was, but with Lane Kiffin, there was also kind of inconsistencies and you never really knew if something different was going to happen out of, you know, left field with him personality wise. I think with Clay Helton, he's probably a little more straight and narrow, um, but, of course, you have the USC administration, and there's always something going on around the U- uh, USC. So we certainly, uh, like you said, don't want to jinx it. <laughs> we don't want to jinx it. We anticipate that Clay Helton will probably be less controversial, but uh, you never know about the moving parts around him. Yeah, and there's still residual effects from Sark and everything, obviously, with the lawsuit and, you know, the Todd McNair stuff is coming through and, and you know, all the controversy around Pat Hayden. So. Yeah, I mean, even though Clay Helton seems like a more stable figure 
Uh, it's not like he inherited a stable program, so there could be waves of it. You know, even with the sanctions and all that stuff, still, you know, some of the repercussions from all that. So yeah, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, there won't be as much crazy things to talk about about this USC football program, but there's been quite a bit. Um, so I guess maybe let's start off with the coaching stuff, Gerard, and uh, you know, losing four assistant coaches. It doesn't look like anyone's going to be, you know, replaced, quote unquote, replaced from outside the program. More of a graduate assistant, administrative assistant, strength coaches kind of coming together to, to fill out the staff as they try to get ready for a tough team in Wisconsin, uh, in the bowl game. So maybe kind of get your thoughts on all that to start. Well, from the recruiting angle right now, USC has five coaches on the road. Uh, you had the last two weeks really where you had in-home visits and obviously with USC playing in the Pac-12 championship game, you sort of lose a week with in-home visits. They, they did see some guys locally. Um, but not really able to go national because you've got to return to practice and you got to be there on campus, obviously, to coach the team. So that's been different. That's a unique thing for this coaching staff and really the coaching staff that USC's had in recent memory because they haven't been in the Pac-12 championship. And then you obviously have the firings. And so USC's definitely been very limited in terms of their reach and how many you know guys they can go see at a particular time. Um, we do know that USC – has been on campus and seen Jack Jones. They have been on campus to see Lamar Jackson. They have been on campus to see uh, Mika Wars. That's actually happened this week. Um, they've been on campus to see several players more locally than nationally. And we're, really, we're coming right up against the dead period here. So next week, we'll actually begin the, the beginning of the dead period. And so USC will get a little bit of a break, and they'll be able to kind of sort of reorganize um, normally you can have seven coaches on the road at a time, and then you've got all the support staff behind them that helps organize and sort of manage who's going where and, and who's seeing who. And, uh, and right now some of that support staff is actually coaching. So <laughs> it's a totally different thing. It's a unique situation, but it has been one that USC uh, has been able to anticipate. Uh, the coaches that are there knew that they would sort of be in this situation. Clay Helton knew that if he was going to be named head coach, he would be in this situation. So certainly going forward, um, they know kind of what's going on. Uh, I've been told that USC doesn't want to put a bunch of the GAs on the road also because, well, one, we are coming up to the dead period, so it's really only a week that they've had to really go out and, and recruit hard and, and be on the road. And honestly, I think we anticipate after the dead period, which is going to end January 9th, at that point they should have some coaches named full-time. Uh, whether both coordinators will be named or not remains to be seen, but we anticipate that several of those positions we will be filled, and, and USC doesn't want to have – Various narratives out there um, with different recruits. When you've got, you know, a coach there, and all of a sudden you got to pull him off the road, who's a GA because, you know, now he's going back to be a GA or an administrative assistant, and you're going to put a full-time coach out there, and all of a sudden you've got different messages. So, at this point, really, right now, USC just wanted to get through this week. They've got, you know, Pierre Sherman, linebacker coach, now defensive coordinator, out on the road recruiting. Uh, they've got T. Martin. Uh, who's an ace recruiter out there recruiting. Johnny Nansen and uh, Marcus Tui Hasasobo actually flew out to Hawaii uh, earlier in the week um, to go see uh, a couple different prospects. And so they've been on the road, and they're, they're back in uh, California now. Um, so they're, they are, you know, all over the West region and really trying to see as many players as possible. And we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, a lot of people want to know, with those coaches retained, who's really being retained maybe part-time and who's being retained full-time. I think that has a lot to do with the coordinators. Um, obviously, Peter Sermon, he's the lone defensive coach that's been retained. Um, he is going to be the temporary or interim defensive coordinator for the bowl game. 
Um, I've said before in the parastyle, I think he'll do a really good job. I think he's going to be a star defensive coordinator in the future, um, whether it's going to be right now in the immediate future or not. Obviously, circumstances are very difficult, very challenging, because he has limited resources in terms of the coaches around him. Um, but I think he'll do a, a pretty good job, and he's kind of the temporary guy, and we'll see if they bring somebody in that wants to have their own guys. You know, you're going to have a defensive coordinator hire that may want to hire all of his own guys. With the offensive side of the ball, it's more limited because I think Clay Houghton definitely wants to keep T. Martin and Tui Asasopo uh, both in place. So you have two offensive coaches there. Um, the offensive line coach is going to be a big hire. I hear from everybody in the McKay Center, Heritage Hall. That's going to be a focal point. And we talked about it in the kind of prelude mini war room that we had Tuesday. It wasn't really that, a mini war room. It was pretty big, but yeah. It was, I know, and I figured it wasn't <laughs> going to be that many either uh, when stuff like this happens and all of a sudden, you know, you kind of get that stir of information and people, you know, have opinions and then people have actual information and you're piecing things together. The one thing that I really gleaned uh, from various conversations was that the offensive line hire is very important to Clay Helton. And it's going to be a fork in the road whether he wants to bring in a, a really big-name offensive line hire get somebody who's got a lot of experience, get somebody who's really kind of a, a focal point almost of the staff and attach that run game coordinator to his name. Because obviously titles are a big deal in coaching. And you can throw money at somebody and say, hey, you can live in Southern California. But what we see at the end of the day is that usually somebody wants to come along so they can get a title, so they can sort of move up the food chain of coaching. And Either USC is going to have one of those situations where they can bring in an offensive line coach and make him a run game coordinator, which is basically saying he's a co-coordinator, offensive coordinator, or they're going to probably take maybe a lesser hire and then go and, and maybe combine uh, T. Martin with another offensive coordinator. Maybe a guy like, you know, we've talked a lot about Tyson Helton, Clay Helton's brother, who's coaching at Western Kentucky. They could bring him in as a tight end coach co-offensive coordinator with maybe T. Martin, who is currently USC's passing coordinator. Um, so that's going to be kind of the fork in the road to see what Clay Helton does. Uh, but there definitely is an emphasis on trying to get a, a really good offensive line coach. And from my sources and contacts, it definitely seems like they're looking within the conference than out of the conference. And, and this is something that we talked about last year because, lo and behold, USC just hired an offensive line coach. They've had, I think, five offensive line coaches in five years. Yeah. And so – One year there was two. They, with the, so that was like even double. Yeah, exactly. And, and so <laughs> so when they were going through with the hiring uh, to replace um, James Craig and Mike Summers, which was, you know, interesting – um, and then they went through with Drevno, uh, who was obviously, I think, probably the best offensive line coach they've had in recent memory, and he left to be an offensive coordinator at Michigan. And, again, there's a title there, and, you know, it's not just a raise. It's the title. I'm sure Drevno wants to be a head coach at some point, so he wants to have that offensive coordinator title. Um, they had some really good candidates, and it was more implied. Nobody was throwing names out there, but we knew there was two offensive line coaches within the conference that were interested in the job that USC was after. And one was Steve Greatwood, the offensive line coach at Oregon. That was a very specific type of like we kind of sort of knew, okay, that's one of them that USC is after. And the other guy we thought was maybe uh, Malachek over at Arizona. Uh, now, Jim Malachek actually coached with Steve Sarkeesian with the Raiders, um, many years ago, and Steve Sarkeesian evidently wanted to bring him up to Washington. 
So we thought Melichick was one of the guys, and we got kind of conflicting information. There were some people saying, no, 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 he's, he's, he's sticking with Rich Rod. He's in Arizona, uh, doesn't want to move to L.A., blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then we had a, you know, more sort of like connecting the dots. It's like, nah, it does seem like he'd be one of the guys. But what we had heard, you know, over the course of the year after Bob Connolly was hired is that Melichick and actually Sarkeesian had a little bit of a falling out because Sarkeesian wanted to have him up at Washington, evidently had him basically agree to be the offensive line coach and principal, and then he sort of bailed on Sarkeesian. Or at least that's the side of the story that we've gotten. Um, but whatever it is, they sort of had a falling out, and he was never really a candidate. Well, who seemed actually was a candidate was not Arizona's offensive line coach, but Arizona State's offensive line coach, Chris Thompson. He was a guy, evidently, that USC was targeting also. So these are names that maybe perhaps USC comes back to. Um, they definitely, like I said, it seems like, you know, they're probably looking within the conference. Um, the conference is obviously got great offenses, and there's there's a lot of diversity there. And there's, you know, various uh, systems that you could see Clay Helton maybe wanting to sort of combine um, certain things that he's done at USC, certain things that he did at Memphis uh, with what, other programs in the Pac-12 are doing now. Uh, so, again, offensive line is going to be a big hire. Haven't heard so much about the defensive coordinator position outside the one, I don't want to say it was a bombshell, but it was a pretty big, interesting bit of information that came through that Clancy Pendergast had actually been offered the defensive coordinator job and had met with Clay Helton, but at this point is turning it down to stay in the NFL. Um, that came from a very good source, and we pretty much believe it based on kind of where it came from um, and, and sort of – kind of a significant thing just based on, okay, where do they go from here? And the fact that Clay Helton would offer him the job that quickly. You know, we didn't know the relationship that Clay Helton had with Clancy Pendergast when Clancy Pendergast was at USC in 2013. He's only there for a year. But obviously he liked what he saw with that defense. Having said that, that defense was not just Clancy Pendergast, but you also have to give Ed Ergeron credit because sources have told me several times Classy Pendergast was really in charge of really the coverages. Now, that was what his his part of the calling the defense was. Edwards Ron was in, in front of uh, in charge of the defensive front, which is obviously a significant part of that. Um, so if you're getting Classy Pendergast, you're still having to combine him with uh, a defensive line coach or a linebackers coach or somebody that's very experienced that can be uh, very good at, at calling the defensive front. Um, so at this point, it doesn't look like Pendergast. Is in the mix. Um, again, it's early. Maybe there's you know some negotiation ploys there. Maybe he comes back around and decides, you know what, 49ers job is is not necessarily solid, not necessarily stable. Uh, maybe I'm going to go back to USC. Uh, we'll kind of see how that shakes out. But USC is definitely um, they're 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 out there. They're they're talking to people. Um, we are hearing names, you know, like uh, David Aranda at. Uh, at Wisconsin, who's, who's one of the you know hottest defensive coordinator names in the country. Interestingly enough, that's who USC's playing in the Holiday Bowl. <laughs> of course, um, you know, of course. we've heard a, a couple other names, NFL assistants, things like that. So, and so unlike the head coaching search, where we really we heard some stuff and then it kind of went quiet, and we started to think, I don't know, maybe they're not going much farther away than Clay Helton at this point. If we're not hearing about anybody being interviewed or even being approached to being interviewed, with this particular coaching search for coordinators, we are hearing names, and it seems like USC is definitely out there reaching out to people, and, and uh, Clay Helton's trying to uh, to get some options. All right. Um, good update on everything USC coaching-wise. And uh, wanted to talk about recruiting, you know, even with only, you know, with four assistant coaches down, like you were talking about, USC still out there recruiting, but should also be some visitors and stuff coming up this weekend. So maybe you want to kind of give an update of 
of what's going to be going on on the USC campus this weekend. Yeah, you know, USC lost that real big UCLA weekend. Um, that's the interesting thing. Everybody talks about the timing of the hire of Clay Helton. And, you know, some people say, oh, it was good to get it, you know, done early because you've got mid-year grads. And then other people are saying, well, he got it done at that point because they knew, you know, the Stanford win was going to be difficult and you couldn't make that hire off of a loss to Stanford. Whatever it is, the UCLA weekend, it would have been better for recruiting and if we're just looking at it from that perspective, um, if they would have got it done before the UCLA game, uh, and that would obviously have been after the Oregon loss, which would maybe not have been as, as popular, but it would allow USC to get in four or five visitors for the UCLA game, which they tend to do annually. Uh, that last game of the season, whether it be UCLA or Notre Dame, they tend to get in a few visitors. Well, they lost that weekend. They, they you know, had Josh Immator Bebe come in, who's uh, an early rollie, and that was good, uh, but not any other, you know, guys that are uncommitted or guys that you really want to kind of have that environment, the rivalry game. Uh, it tends to be something that uh, is, is is positive for recruiting. USC lost that weekend. Then they also lost the week, uh, like I said, within home visits because of the championship game. So they are sort of put behind the eight ball a little more than they have been in recent years with recruiting. Uh, so this weekend they're bringing in basically the rest of their mid-year grads. You had Josh Amator Baby already coming on his visit. He looks solid. You're also going to have this weekend uh, Glendora three-star quarterback Matt Fink. Uh, you're going to have uh, Oaks Christian um, four-star athlete Michael Pittman. You're going to have four-star uh, Mira Mesa offensive tackle uh, Nathan Smith. You're going to have three-star defensive end from Huntington Beach Liam Jimmins, and you're going to have five-star defensive end uh, Oluwale Betiku from uh, Sarah High School and his teammate from Sarah High School, four-star safety C.J. Puller. So really all commits outside of Oluwale, and we're going to see what happens with there. Oluwale Betiku actually had an in-home visit with Clay Helton and uh, T. Martin and Peter Sherman uh, at the school and at his house a little later in the day. Uh, just this past week, I think it was actually yesterday, or the, I think it was the day after, I think it was Monday um, that they had that in-home visit. Right now it really looks good for USC. For Oluwale, uh, he's uh, you know six three, two hundred and fifty pound defensive end, a guy that dropped USC um, you know over the summer and actually committed to UCLA just in you know the early fall, based mainly on a he wants to stay in California. He's from Nigeria, moved from Nigeria to Maryland, hated the snow, <laughs> hated the weather, hated the East Coast just in general, and you know it was one of those things where I had conversation with him. Uh, over the summer, and we were kind of laughing, and he said, you know, the only way I'm going back east is if I'm going back to Nigeria. He goes, I, I'll just keep on the plane, just keep flying. Like, I don't I don't want to go to Penn State. I don't want to go this place. I don't want to go that place. And at this point, he was living with LeVar Arrington, who was kind of his his guardian at that point, basically coming over from Nigeria. He was living with LeVar Arrington. And obviously, LeVar Arrington, having very, very, very strong ties to Penn State, wanted him to go to Penn State. Well, like I said, Wally wasn't really interested in going to, you know, make snowmen in Pennsylvania. So the compromise pick became UCLA because of Tom Bradley uh, being the defensive coordinator and bringing him in and obviously longtime Penn State defensive coordinator, a guy that actually coached LeVar Arrington. And then uh, Wally, well, let's just say that he, he and, and LeVar had parted ways uh, in terms of that relationship that they had. And it, that became less of an influence. And so he's decommitted from UCLA, started looking at things again. And, and really the reason why he de or, or, uh, took USC off his list and stopped considering them was mainly because of the defense. Uh, they're running a 34 defense, stand-up outside linebackers. 
he's kind of that hybrid guy, but really feels like he's going to be better with his hand on the ground playing as a weak side defensive end in like a seven technique. And so that was like a big thing for him. Time has gone on. He's got another year of football under his belt, and now he feels a little more comfortable uh, maybe even playing that outside linebacker slash rush in type position um, if USC continues to run the 34 defense. Obviously, uh, you know, there's rumblings that USC will go to a 4-3 next, week, uh, next year, and so we'll kind of see how that plays out. But regardless, Wale has become very, very enamored with USC again. He definitely wants to stay uh, close to home or close to, you know, where he is now, Southern California. He likes it. Um, and USC you know, obviously that number one choice for him without UCLA really in consideration. So uh, as the only guy that's not committed, mid-year Roley probably. We've you know heard different things about whether he's got all his transcripts. I mean, he's got some stuff that he's got to get over from Maryland. Um, anytime you've got transfers like that, let alone, you know, coming from Nigeria, uh, you've got to get all your ducks in a row. So that could change things as far as him and his uh, mid-year status. Uh, but right now, USC is definitely the team to beat. Florida State in there, uh, trying to trying to, you know, kind of stay in the game. Um, he is going to announce at the Under Armour game, which I think is January 6th. Uh, so we're going to see, you know, how, what happens here pretty pretty soon, you know, within the next month. Uh, but right now, USC is definitely the team to beat for him. All right, let's uh, let's see, let's move on. <coughs> Excuse me. I got a little frog in my throat there, Gerard. I don't know what's going on. A little on. frog in your throat from listening to me talk. I guess I was like, wow, a little. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, that kind of hit me weird. It's been, I've done a lot of podcasts this week, or the last month, or the last year. So let's get some questions. We had one about the assistant coaches from Julian said, how about Phil Parker, currently Iowa defensive coordinator, or Gene Chizik, currently North Carolina defensive coordinator, as a defensive coordinator. Phil Parker currently getting 300K, according to Wikipedia. Thanks from Julian. <laughs> I know nothing about Parker. Uh, obviously, Iowa had a, a good defense this year. They had a very good run this year, but I just don't know anything about him. I do know a little bit about Chiswick. Um, obviously, some recruiting questions about him when he was at Auburn. Um, nothing I think stuck. I don't think there was anything that you know he he got labeled with that you know prohibits him from recruiting now for North Carolina, uh, but definitely had a little bit of a reputation. I don't know that that's a, that's a guy that you can completely disregard uh, for USC and Clay Helton. I think it's more of a long shot. Uh, certainly USC could probably pay him more than North Carolina, and I think USC job is probably a little more of a, a limelight um, job. Uh, you would have to look at the direction North Carolina is going in as opposed to USC. Now North Carolina looks like they're going in the right direction, and uh, Larry Fedora has definitely turned them around, and they're they're – there, there may be, you know, a team that in the next couple of years could be a team that could compete for maybe the playoff in the ACC. Obviously, you know, you've got Florida State there, um, and you've got Clemson, and there's going to be, you know, some comp- competition, but might be better for him in that area and with his recruiting ties to stay there as opposed to maybe coming out to USC. Um, it's a name, good recruiter. Uh, again, you know, how how – how he matches up with USC and what USC does and what Clay Helton wants to do. I mean, that, that's, I couldn't really answer that. So it's a thing to consider. Um, I, like I said, don't know anything about Parker at all, though. And I, and I really truthfully don't know if Clay Helton has any kind of preference in terms of what type of defensive coordinator he's looking at. We've heard some NFL names. Uh, we've heard some college names. Um, does he want to run a 4-3 as opposed to a 3-4? Does he really care? He's an offensive-minded coach. 
So I just really kind of up in the air. Obviously, he's made some comments about having an aggressive defense, but, you know, everybody wants to have an aggressive defense, and I don't think anybody's ever gone on record saying, you know, I really want to have a passive defense. So we'll see kind of how it shakes out and what the options are. All right. Thanks for that one, Julian. Let's move on to the next. And I think we have Kevin, South Orange County. Have not heard much about uh, Devin Asiasi lately. Uh, what's Gerard's prediction for that one? January 15th visit. Uh, USC, still in pretty good position, mainly because Marcus Tuiasasopo was still on staff. Uh, we have heard that Washington wants to go after him as a receiver's coach. UCLA may consider him for an office coordinator gig. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think he goes back to Washington unless you can give him some type of coordinator, assistant head coach, or something to kind of lure him back up there. I know he's from there and his family's there, but he likes Southern California. I don't think him just going back there just to go back there. Um, and with UCLA, I think with Jim Moore, and kind of the position they're in, Jim Moore's done a lot of UCLA's. He's been successful, you know, uh, for a lot of UCLA fans feel like he's been successful. I, I, obviously, USC fans are going to say, well, what has he won? What has he done? He hasn't done anything. USC's been on sanctions, and they haven't won anything. Um, so that's all up to interpretation. But I think you could say that in terms of culture, he's, he's helped them out a lot. But there's still um, enough, enough, I think, dissonance there with the fan base that it might be hard for him to go out on that limb and hire a first-time coordinator as your next coordinator. Um, he's also loyal to Mazzoni. Uh, Noah Mazzoni is still a guy that he has loyalty towards, and I've heard a lot of stuff about him you know, firing Mazzoni and it's all the offense and this and that. Um, I watched him play this year outside of the USC game, and their defense did not play as well as it's played in the past. Now, granted, they had uh, you know, a few injuries that were significant injuries in Eddie Vanderdose and, and Miles Jack, but, you know, that happens. You, you kind of have to have that next man up theory, and, and guys have to be able to come in and, and step in, and they didn't really do that. So I, I don't know that it was all Mazzoni. I don't know if it was all just one coach. I don't know if, uh, if Jim Moore is ready to just kind of jump on that bandwagon and start firing people. Um, but if he did, you know, we hear that he is close with uh, Tuyasa Sopo and would like to get him on staff. Uh, but, again, going back to Tuyasa Sopo and from his perspective, that kind of move, A, you're not going to make a lateral move there and just be a position coach at UCLA, and B, it's got to be a significant position. I mean, it would, it would almost have to be an offensive coordinator position because, I, you know, moving from rival to rival is not always a good thing for your coaching career. I know USC was going after Adrian Clem as an offensive line coach uh, years ago, uh, not just this past year when they hired Bob Connolly, but before that. And I think Clem made the right decision in not going to USC. I think it causes too much drama and controversy and too many hurt feelings. And, I mean, unless it's just a major move that's going to benefit you, whether it be financially or just as a promotion, I think it's probably a bad idea as a coach. So uh, with, with Tuyasa Sopli, I don't see him taking that job unless it would be, like I said, off to a coordinator and so often to a coordinator, and he would feel like, hey, you know, this is an opportunity I can't pass up. Um, and so for Devin Asiasi, I think as long as Tuyasa Sopo is there, USC is going to be in a pretty good place for him. Cool. All right, let's move on. We got Phil. He says, I really appreciate your show. Uh, this has been a great addition to my USC news feed since ESPN is adamantly in love with the SEC. Well, thanks, Phil. Um, what impact will USC's win over UCLA have on potential recruits besides the obvious, specifically Mike Juarez and others still on the fence? Best regards, Phil. SoCal native living in Hawaii. Uh, aloha. 
Um, I would say, you know, the, the, the impact is always sort of down the road. It, it's really more towards 2017 and then 2018. Uh, the kids in this class sort of have their minds made up whether they're really looking at USC or they're looking at UCLA. Um, the one guy that comes to mind is Mike Wars, five-star linebacker from Torrance, California. Mike Ward was actually set to officially visit USC this week. And we wouldn't necessarily say that it's impossible that he doesn't still show up on campus. He's been the kind of guy that, you know, sets visits and all of a sudden ends up somewhere else that weekend. Uh, he sent a visit to Oklahoma State, and I think he went to Washington. I was like, well, how did that happen? Um, so he's a guy that was committed to USC early on in the process. Really, it was a soft verbal from the get-go and ended up decommitting when Steve Sarkeesian was fired. And they still looked at USC. USC's in home with him. And so, you know, they'll get a shot at him. He could be a mid-year grad. He's another guy sort of like Oluwale Betiku that it's uh, – there's some question there whether he's going to be able to get his grades together. I know Torrance, North Torrance High School actually doesn't get their grades posted until mid-January or something, so he's going to have to expedite that process as well. Um, that's a guy that sort of – there's maybe a UCLA-USC battle to some extent. So this point from what we've heard from various sources is that UCLA is in the lead. And, and UCLA is sort of the school that right now he wants to go to and leaning to. Um, but USC still fighting, still trying to claw their way back. Obviously it's difficult because they, you know, don't have a defensive coordinator. And if he does become a mid-year grad, it's going to be hard to be able to sell what defense you're running uh, if you don't have a defensive coordinator in place. So USC is playing from behind. Uh, but there's not a lot of other guys that USC and UCLA – are really battling for head-to-head, you know, and you can mention a guy like Jack Jones, but I don't think Jack Jones is really looking at USC or UCLA. I think if it comes down to any schools, it's probably Jack Jones going out of state and kind of shocking people by going to Alabama or Texas A&M as opposed to going to USC. Um, I don't think it's going to come down to UCLA, USC. And I think for most of these guys, it's not coming down to USC, UCLA. You know, although while I bet it was a guy that was committed to UCLA, but I don't think he's looking at UCLA anymore at all. It's really just USC and then maybe the possibility of going somewhere like Florida State. So, you know, for the majority of these guys, that game, I think it came after the, the, the battle. You know, I mean, I think that the war was already won for each school. The guys that are going there, Theo Howard, those type of players, they're going to go to UCLA. And the guys that are, you know, leaning towards USC, want to go to USC, are going to USC. It's interesting because I think for a while we thought, you know, with UCLA getting better and starting to beat USC, that there would be more battles. But it just really sort of – those the kids that are UCLA kids kind of go to UCLA, and the guys that are USC guys go to USC. It uh, doesn't seem to be a ton of last-minute, you know, which one am I going to go signing day type decisions. All right. Uh, this is a good one from Melvin Gerard. In general, has the recruiting been hurt very much by all of the recent changes, including the firing of the four assistant coaches? No. Um, it hasn't been hurt very much, mainly because I think you still have Clay Helton there, and you do have some overlap with him, and he's endeared himself well with both the fan base and the recruits. We saw, we saw that with Ed Erdron as an interim coach, um, and, and Clay Helton has sort of done the same thing. I think a lot of the kids that were committed to USC already, and, and that was really the question. I mean, again, we talk about UCLA, USC, Michael Pittman, four-star uh, athlete, receiver, uh, safety, outside linebacker, whatever he plays in college, was a guy that was committed to UCLA, decommitted from UCLA, committed to USC. And then UCLA started to come back in the picture because there was question as what was going to happen with USC in the coaching situation. Steve Sarkeesian gets fired. 
but he had a great relationship with Clay Helton. And he had a great relationship with T. Martin and Tuiasa Sopo, and those guys all have been retained. So he's fine. He's ready to go forward. And to this point, every recruit that's been committed to USC really likes the Clay Helton hire. They've all approved of that hire. Um, now, the guys that aren't committed, they're a little less, you know, okay, we kind of have to see what's going on, and they're, they're, they're less – well, they're less committed, and they don't have to go out and say, okay, I want to stick with this choice, especially because they're not early enrollees. Um, but, you know, Wale is being an early enrollee, guy that likes Clay Helton, has a relationship with Clay Helton. So you can say as a recruiter, Clay Helton has done a pretty good job, and he's endeared himself to the guys that are committed or the guys that were seriously looking at USC, and it hasn't hurt them uh, in that respect. Where it is a little bit of an issue is that the relationships that were built with the position coaches, and because USC really recruits by position, you lose a guy like Keith Hayward, and now all of a sudden, let's say Lamar uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, the 6'3", 210-pound uh, four-star safety from uh, Elk Grove, California. He's a guy that really liked Clay Hel- or excuse me, really liked uh, Keith Hayward, had a relationship with Keith, Hay- Keith Hayward uh, more so than anybody else on the staff. And now USC has to sort of fill in the gap a little bit until they get somebody on staff that can go up there and say, hey, there's my plan for you. And why it's important, and this is why it was important for Michael Pittman, is when you've got guys that could play multiple positions but have a preference for playing one position, the plan is really an important part of their recruiting process. So with Pittman, the plan was, hey, we want to put you a split end. We want you to play receiver. That's what he wants to do. So when there's a plan in place and you've got a coach there that kind of gives you the blueprint, he feels a lot more comfortable and certain with his decision, okay, that's where I want to go. And in this particular case, that was USC. Oregon was recruiting him. They were recruiting him as sort of as a wing back and all this other stuff. He didn't like that. Even though people thought when he decommitted from Oregon or from UCLA, he was just going to go straight to Oregon. But USC had a better plan for him that he was more comfortable with, and he wanted to stay close to home. Same thing with Lamar Jackson. He's a guy that's 6'3", 210 pounds. A lot of people are looking at him saying, well, he's going to play linebacker. Well, you know, maybe he does, but he wants to hear the plan of him playing safety because he prefers playing defensive back. He even plays cornerback a little bit for his high school team. So, again, when you have a coach that's a position coach who's basically reiterated the plan, yes, we're bringing you in as a safety, yes, this is what we think of you, this is how we want to play you, and you buy into that plan, all of a sudden that plan's been taken away. And now USC sort of has to scramble a little bit, and, you know, they know the plan. They know they're going to say, hey, this is the same thing we were going to do. It doesn't matter if Keith Hayward is there or not. But all of a sudden, you've got unfamiliar voices saying it. So that's where it sort of takes a step back. The guys that are uncommitted that you're trying to sell a plan to that may be able to fill more than one position. All right. Makes sense. Um, thanks for that question, Melvin. Let's go to JJB. He says, love your show. Uh, question is about Matt Fink. Are they going to keep him? He doesn't seem like a pocket passer. He doesn't seem like a great passer at all. Well, that's not very nice, JJB, but uh, what do you think, Gerard? <laughs> they are going to keep him. He's coming in for his official visit this weekend, uh, and he should be a mid-year uh, grad. I keep hearing that he's got to get transcripts in, transcripts in. Um, he hasn't been announced as a mid-year grad uh, like uh, Nathan Smith and Josh Amatorbebe. Um, uh, Michael Pittman and some of the other early grads, but we hear that he's still on track and they're expecting to bring him in early and that, uh, you know, that official visit this weekend will probably, probably kind of cross that, those T's and dot those I's as far as his commitment goes. Um, it is interesting in that he is uh, more of a dual threat quarterback and we have 
been told in the past that Clay Helton tends to sort of gravitate more towards pocket passers and guys that can't pass the ball. Two things. One, Clay Helton's a very loyal guy, and I think there was no way he was going to get away from this commitment. Um, I think you, you've seen from other coaches uh, and, and, and certainly other circumstances and situations may drop a guy in, in that situation. I don't think Clay Helton is in that situation where he could do that. Obviously, he's just been hired, and he's been hired as a guy that's really taking the job he has now and just doing it full time. It's not somebody coming in from another school and you can kind of clear house. And that really would put him in an awkward situation with his assistant coaches too. And he had relationships with those guys and he had to fire guys that he was working with, which is much different than coming from another school and then coming into a situation and saying, Hey guys, I want to do this. You guys don't fit the direction I, I want to go in. So you know, you're gone, and everybody's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, we didn't really know you anyway, so whatever. Different situation with Clay Helton. So I don't think he was ever going to really be able to get away from Matt Fink, even if he wanted to. But then what we've also heard lately is that he, he really likes Matt Fink, that, um, you know, sources have kind of said, you know, Matt Fink's a guy that, that he felt good about, and, you know, even if, if there was thoughts that he could maybe renege on that scholarship offer, uh, it wasn't going to happen because he, he likes him and he thinks that, he can he can play at USC's offense. And the fact that, you know, USC's in a situation where, and we talked about this in the war room, you know, if Sam Darnold was to win the starting job, and it's just a hypothetical here, and you've got to look at hypotheticals when you're doing recruiting or, you know, you're going to end up with, you know, 70 players or more like 48 players on the, on the roster. Um, there's the chance that Max Brown transfers. And Max Brown has graduated, so he can transfer without sitting out a year. Uh, which is a little different than, you know, yeah. after contemplating, oh, sitting out a year. Uh, so if Sam Darnold was to win that starting job and Max Brown transfers, then you've got Sam Darnold and Matt Fink only on the roster. Or if you don't recruit Matt Fink, you've got Sam Darnold and who knows who the other quarterbacks you're going to be able to get on the roster. So it also brings in the point that not only may Sam, uh, or excuse me, Matt Fink be a part of the class, I, there's not, there's, there's a possibility, possibility that USC also brings in another quarterback in this class. And we just we have to wait and see. There's not a lot of guys out there that they can recruit. Um, obviously, we know that they're recruiting three-star quarterback uh, from Sarah High School, Khalil Tate, but he's a guy who's a little more of an athlete, uh, really was recruited more as an athlete than a straight quarterback by USC, and was one of the reasons why he went to Arizona is because they feel like they're going to give him a shot at quarterback. And in that system, you could see that. Uh, so, that's one guy, but, you know, obviously not necessarily a, you know, sure bet quarterback. Uh, we'll have to see what happens when they hire an offensive coordinator and if they can maybe reach out to guys that, uh, that they've recruited in the past that might take a second look at USC with Clay Helton as a quarterback coach. Obviously, Shea, Hel- uh, Shea Patterson is, is one name that comes up. Um, KJ Costello, to a lesser extent, is a name that comes up. Uh, so we'll see. Obviously, time is ticking because most of these quarterbacks are mid-year grads. So you're literally, you got this week, and then you've got a dead period, and it's going to be very difficult to be able to recruit during the dead period. Uh, so it's, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to get a big-name guy at this point, last minute, unless it's already you know, in play and we just haven't heard about it. Um, but maybe there's going to be something that goes on in January where if they feel, like I said, that scenario is, is likely to play out or they feel that good about uh, Sam Darnold that uh, he may overtake Mac brown then yeah maybe there's a last minute uh, quarterback grab uh, after matt fink has already graduated and already at usc 
All right. Well, we still have a bunch to get to, so we'll try to maybe rapid fire them a little bit. But doing doing great, Gerard. Um, Bearsecutor has one. Uh, Corona Centennial cornerback uh, and Washington commit Kentrell Love, and then Hawthorne losing her defensive uh, end. I think it's Samisi Luakai. Is that how you say his name? Luaki. Luaki. Sorry, my bad. Um, GM, have you seen these players live? What is your assessment of them, and what past current players would you compare them to? I have not seen Milwaukee live, and so it's really hard to to compare him to anybody. And 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 really, sort of a six four, two hundred forty pound, maybe hybrid type. Uh, what he's told us is that USC was recruiting him sort of as an outside linebacker rush in. And again, you know, we're talking about the thirty four defense that they've been running. Uh, if they run a four three, then you're going to probably see him as a guy that is either a Leo, uh, a weak side outside linebacker slash defensive end or maybe even a guy that grows into being a strong side defensive end. Either way, he's probably got his hand on the ground. So different type of player. Um, a lot of people I've seen try to compare him to J.R. Tavai. I just remember J.R. Tavai was actually a pretty good running back at Miracosta, and I don't think um, Milwaukee's playing running back. I think he's more of a tight end defensive end uh, at Losinger High School. So, you know, different players, and I think people just sort of start to make kind of general uh, comparisons. Uh, I have not seen him in person, so I couldn't make a comparison either way. Although, like I said, I tend to shy away from just generalities of like, oh, well, hey, two uh, Samoan names. Hey, let's compare those kids. <laughs> um, second, uh, with, with Control Love, yeah, I saw him play a lot, actually, even just uh, over the summer. And a guy that's uh, got good height, long, uh, physical corner, um, a guy that plays in a, in a system that is not real aggressive. Uh, you know, it's funny because you know, Cross Centennial got like three or four guys in this class that are all Division One guys, and they gave up a ton of passing yards. Uh, really, last year they were a little better this year, but last year they were pretty pretty bad <laughs> as far as their pass defense. And it, I was thinking how remarkable they could have all these Division One guys, and then you know they've given up so many points and so many yards through the air. But you also have to look at the offense, and again, it kind of goes back to that whole thing about the offense affecting the defense and those things being sort of tied together. If you've got an offense that's you know, the, the amount of possessions and, and the speed that they go at at uh, Corona Centennial. I mean, quite frankly, at this point, they go even faster in Oregon. Uh, I think with Chip Kelly in Oregon, that was basically the tempo. And Oregon sort of, you know, I think slowed down a little bit, probably because Vernon Adams has been the new quarterback for most of the year, been hurt, and they can't quite go at the tempo they did when they had Marcus Mariota there uh, or even uh, Darren Thompson. But now with Corona Centennial, they're, they're going at that old uh, Chip Kelly pace, and they, they just, man, they hike the ball so fast. Um, you're going to have a lot of positions on defense, so you're going to have a lot of yards put up against you and maybe even some points. So, um, you know, love uh, a guy that's been tested but, different kind of defense than you would play at USC and probably in college. Um, uh, definitely a body, definitely a guy I think he can contribute at USC. Uh, is he going to be like a big-time star player? I, I wouldn't say that. I haven't necessarily seen that from him yet. Um, but certainly with USC right now, at least, I think when they had uh, you know everything in place with the coaching staff they had in place and the defense they had in place, at that point they wanted to take five defensive backs, three corners, two safeties. Now that could change. You know, The defensive coordinators are going to come in and look at the board and, you know, Peter Sherman's still there. They're going to talk about it, and there's going to be some discussion as to how many, you know, the, at each position they feel like they need. Maybe the coach comes in and says, hey, man, we need more defensive linemen. Hey, we're going to run a different type of defense, so we need more defensive backs, whatever the case may be. Um, it seems like Kentrell Love is definitely a part of that equation, along with Jack Jones, uh, Lamar Jackson, Byron Murphy, 
Uh, Nigel Knott was a guy that was coming in in January for an official visit with Keith Hayward off the staff. We're going to have to see if that maintains. Um, and there could be new guys that kind of come into the mix that USC is not recruiting right now just based on, you know, who they hire as a secondary coach. All right, let's uh, move on. we got Paul in Petaluma. He has a question. Uh, after watching a few highlights and reading reports about their performances this season, I have some real concerns to whether uh, Jimmins, Saliapaga, Fink, Sidney, and to some extent Vaughns are USC-level recruits. What is your opinion? And do you think all of the current 14 commits will sign with USC? Thanks from Paul and Petaluma. Well, last question first. I would say no because I think Vanessa Jones, the wide receiver from Saraland, Alabama, is, is really a soft commitment. And I think there's a good chance he stays in the South, ends up at Florida, maybe goes to Oklahoma, something like that. I think with USC, it's still a battle for him. Uh, T. Martin remaining on staff is a big deal. He has a great relationship with T. Martin. His family has a great relationship with T. Martin because uh, they're originally from Mobile, Alabama, like T. Martin. Uh, but I think he's a guy that's definitely kind of a shaky commit. Um, in terms of the other players that are committed that uh, the, the the writer, the, the I don't know, what would we call the, the subscriber? <laughs> Paul, Paul was asking, you know. Paul, uh, Jim and you know, Sonia all these names Paga. are thrown at me with all these guys. Paul was the last name I had to remember. Uh, as far Jim as, you know, the, the feeling of, of those guys and, and how good they are and, and how they play, I mean, it, it, it's difficult. Uh, I, I think with Fink, obviously, there's the questions about him and, and just the style of play that he has. Uh, his arm strength is an issue. We've gone over that, you know, ad nauseum. Um, I think it's legit questions. Um, in terms of Toronto Sydney, he just hasn't produced with pads on. You know, he's been a guy that during the summer and during the spring was unbelievably good. I mean, just unbelievable. And we thought, okay, you know, he didn't do a lot his junior year, but, yeah, now he's done this. We'll see him in his senior year. Maybe this is his breakout year. Really hasn't been. He was hurt a lot, had a hamstring injury that really didn't get back from until, like, midseason, so just didn't have a great year. Tyler Vaughns is the guy that's been dominant with pads on. Uh, but Tyler Vaughns, from a standpoint of speed and sort of how he uses his body, uh, whether it translates to the college level, is a question. Um, he's a guy that's a five-star guy. A lot of people think very highly of him. And when you see him make spectacular catches in the air, and he has fantastic body control, has great hands, great, great concentration with his hands, but doesn't necessarily blow you away with his speed, and his route running is very methodical. So... It's a guy that you kind of have to, you, know, you kind of wonder, okay, yeah, how does that translate to college when he's playing against bigger, more physical defensive backs and he's not able to just jump over everybody and grab the football? Um, so that remains a question. So, yes, there, there are questions with those recruits, but I think at this point in the game, you know, obviously with the mid-years, those guys are, you know, man, I think they're going to be in, they're going to be in the system. Um, I don't think USC is at a point where they can start to pivot, uh, but, there, but there's questions about those guys. And there's been questions, you know, even before they committed. And unfortunately, they really remain. I, we haven't really had any answers. Uh, I, see, I think especially with Ravon Sidney um, to say that, oh, you know what? The guy that we see in shorts and a shirt, you know, during the spring is the guy we will see in pads. And he'll be able to make those moves and be that poor Peter Warwick type of player uh, for, for USC on Saturdays. And, you know, obviously there's some question as to whether he even plays receiver. Maybe he's a guy that is a playing cornerback. Uh, at the next level that also is on the table still all right uh thanks for that one paul let's see how about dennison lancaster gerard he says 
I have a recruiting question. With the team using four different centers in one year, are they trying to recruit a true center? I know we have Cole Smith on the roster. Uh, or are they happy with the three players that rotated at center? Love the podcast. We all appreciate the hard work you, uh, your staff does. Fight on. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously USC is going to lose Max Turek, uh, but they're going to have Tolo Bandon back. They're going to have Khalil Rogers and uh, Nico Fala. Uh, so with that and Cole Smith, I think that's, that's pretty good depth at the center position. Um, the question for USC right now is whether they go after more uh, the two offensive linemen in the 2016 class. Whether it's, you know, they go for a center or they go for another offensive tackle, it's just, in general, whether they go after another offensive lineman. And while for the longest time it looked like they wouldn't, there there have been some recruitment uh, and, and continued recruitment of uh, Cole Cabral, who is out of Los Osos High School in Ranch Cucamonga, committed to uh, Arizona State, a guy that USC offered over the summer, uh, but it seemed like once they took uh, Nathan Smith and then Max Max Martin committed right on the heels of Nathan Smith, basically knowing that they're probably only going to take two offensive linemen. That was pretty much done for the offensive line for, for a few months. And then all of a sudden we started hearing, eh, they might be looking at a few other guys. There's a guy here in Texas. There's a guy here that they're recruiting. So I think at this point, at least from what I've been able to kind of extrapolate from various individuals, I think they, it's really going to come down to best player available. I think they're fine with two. They got two basically guys that, you know, I think Max, uh, or excuse me, Frank Martin could play offensive tackle, maybe right tackle, probably more of an interior guy. Uh, Nathan Smith is definitely um, a, a, an offensive tackle. Uh, I think they're okay with that, but there's a possibility if they have a right left and maybe another position, they're not able to get the guy that they wanted, however it shakes out, and best player available comes down to, hey, we can take this other offensive lineman. I think there's a possibility they do. So I don't think it's a hard two. They're done. They're not recruiting anybody anymore. Uh, there is some potential that they could go after another guy. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be a center, per se. I think it just may be uh, another player that, um, you know, it's uh, the best guy basically on the board. All right. Let's see. Uh, we'll go to Kevin in South Orange County. Uh, over the past few years, SC's been able to land the top California and West region talent at once uh, without much question, like Adore Jackson, Juju Smith, Biggie, uh, Stuart Cravens, Damon Mama, Porter, Osa, Max Brown, etc. But it seems as though that's not 100% with this 2016 class. Now more than ever, uh, schools from out of state like Texas A&M with Christian Kirk, uh, Miami with Brad Kaya, Tennessee with Khalil McKenzie, uh, though that can be ex- explained, We've been able to swoop in and poach, and UCLA has had a great shot at the top three guys on our board, uh, Batuku, uh, Mike, and Jack Jones. Uh, what's the deal, Kevin, in South Orange County? I wouldn't say UCLA has a great shot at Jack Jones, uh, and they don't really have a great shot at Wale right now. Uh, they have a great shot at Mike Juarez, um, and we've talked about that, so we won't you know, drum that up again. Uh, you know, USC is not winning games as much as they used to. I mean, at the bottom line is if you don't have a stable situation and you're not winning football games and having success, then it's going to hurt you in recruiting. And and really, I mean, it hasn't re- it hasn't hurt USC as much as you might anticipate it would. Uh, they had a great class there. 
um, not just you know last year, but even the year before, where they were able to close with Damian Mama and Dory Jackson and Juju Smith. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of the instability that has been at USC. You had the Lane Kiffin situation. That after 2012, the 2013 situation where he was fired mid-year, and coming away from 2012 where that season was a debacle when you go 7-6 and six and you lose in the Sun Bowl to Georgia Tech. So then you have Steve Sarkeesian come in. Okay, a guy that can recruit, a staff that can recruit, they got a really good class. Um, despite, you know, the questions of whether Steve Sarkeesian was going to be able to take that next step as a coach at USC. Um, and then, you know, they go and they have an okay season, uh, and then this season gets started off to kind of a rough start, and you have more instability. So at this point, if you're recruiting, you're looking at USC, you think, okay, who's going to be the next coach? T. Martin? Marcus Tuiasasopo? I mean, they didn't come in and bring in a guy that was, okay, that's going to be the coach for the next five years. That's going to be the coach for the next five years because the investment, let alone how good he's going to be able to coach, Jim Harbaugh, Chip Kelly, bringing in a guy that that's a system that is going to create a culture of not just uh, winning at USC, but patience within the fan base. Because at this point, the fan base doesn't have any patience. And we were asked about this um, a chat and, and a few different podcasts. You know, you talk, we talked about – various coaching prospects and guys that may not come in uh, with uh, a, a ton of credibility and how that credibility and that proven success gives you some time as a coach to be able to instill your program and your philosophy. Sorry, but, you know, Clay Helton doesn't really come with that. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian didn't come with that. Lane Kiffin didn't come with that. Why? Because they had not proven success elsewhere. Chris Peterson, if they would have hired him still Sarkeesian, even if he wouldn't have won – and had a similar record, he'd still be at USC because people would have said, you know what, you got to just give it time. Look at what he did at Boise State. Look at what he did at Boise State. Kevin Selman, look at what he did at Houston. Look at what he did at Texas A&M. Even with Tom Herman, there would be some feeling, well, he did that at Houston, but I don't even think with Tom Herman there would have been a ton of patience because of how young he is and the questions over, he really coach at this level? Like, this isn't Houston. And so with Helton, same thing. So you're talking about stability, you're talking about patience, and, you know, I mean, I don't know if, if people understand that the fans and the recruits, they have very different ways of looking at things, but the opinions tend to overlap uh, in certain situations. And obviously fans uh, of USC or people that follow USC talk to recruits, and recruits have family members that are fans. And so all of this ends up sort of being out there. And at this point, USC, they still have to prove themselves. Clay Helton has to prove, yeah, I'm a winner, and I'm going to be here for a long time, and there's going to be stability again in the program. The narrative coming from him is certainly good, and I think his presence and sort of how he controls a room is good for USC. And like I said, I, we don't anticipate the unpredictability and kind of the weird, unexplainable actions that you saw with the last two head coaches. But again, you know, administration-wide, you still have to question – you know, if there's something going to come up that's going to be a hurdle uh, for USC and maybe even Clay Helton in the future. Um, it's just a matter of winning and a matter of proving uh, that he, he belongs there and he's going to stay there because of his success. Okay, we got a um, three more left. You cool with that, Gerard? I'm cool with that. All you're right. cool with that. Yeah, we're doing, you're doing great. Uh, Amari Rogers versus Stephen Mitchell. Please compare these guys as high school recruits. Does Rogers also project as a slot wide receiver? Rogers seems to 
have exceptional ball skills, uh, though a heavy, a help, sorry, a healthy Stephen Mitchell, uh, may have been even more elusive in high school. Yeah, Stephen Mitchell in high school was explosive. Uh, smart, really fast, good first step, um, underrated in terms of how strong he was and how he could break tackles. We haven't quite seen him gain that step back that he lost, obviously with the knee injury. Um, sometimes it takes time. Some guys never recover that step. He's been okay for USC this season. This has really been his first year, you know, playing and contributing. Um, so, you know, it's going to take some time, and you kind of have to be a little patient with him. And, again, we can be patient because we saw what he did in high school. Again, it's all about that. You know, it's been proven elsewhere, so you kind of have to wait for, you know, if to disprove it, um, give it some time. I think with Amari Rodgers, a little different player. He actually plays a lot of running back in high school. And Steve Mitchell actually did play running back high school early in Alamany. Uh, but I think with Amari Rodgers, he's, he's, a, he's a stronger player. Uh, he's a little more built, lower body, um, probably not as fast. I don't think he has the, the, the top end speed or, or maybe even the quickness of Steven Mitchell, um, but certainly a guy that's very aware, great hands. Um, obviously fundamentally very sound. I mean, his, his, his father is T. Martin, and, and T, you know, is coaching him up and involved with him. Um, a smart player. A guy that fits USC really well in terms of his personality and just sort of how he is uh, disposition-wise. Um, I think he definitely does fit that sort of F slot position, uh, sort of the Adoree Jackson role to some extent. Um, again, not as fast. He's not quite that explosive type of player. Uh, but a guy that has better football speed, uh, I think, then, you know, you're going to have test speed. He's a guy that might run, you know, in the high 4.6s or 4.7, uh, but in terms of giving him the football and you have him out there in the football field, he's, he's, he's elusive. He's surprisingly fast. And so um, a really good player, a guy that was uh, probably uh, the top one or two receivers that we saw at the Rising Stars camp this past summer. So um, definitely a good get for USC. And in terms of his role, while I don't think he's a, a, a complete comparison to Stephen Mitchell or Dory Jackson probably plays that position in USC's offense in the future. All right. We'll do Paul in Vegas. He said, I love the story on our two fullbacks, uh, dying breed indeed. This position is so old school that I can tell you the name of the fullback on my high school team back in the early 60s. Whoa. Uh, it was Gernon Longo. You remember covering him, right, Gerard? Gerlon Longo, that's the guy. That you know, that's he was that a three was back star, in the days when you used to recruit fullbacks that didn't have necks. Yeah, <laughs> he was a three star, I think, back in the the old scout database. Um, no, I don't. We weren't around in the early '60s. If nobody's recruiting that particular skill set anymore, can't we have our pick nationally of bowling balls that can block, catch passes in the flat, and excel on special teams because of their surprising speed and athleticism? Are we actively recruiting anyone? That fits this mold. Thanks and fight on from Paul in Vegas. Neither of us were actually around during the 60s no. period, let alone covering yeah. uh, USC football. Uh, the answer to that is nine. No. Uh, USC is really not involved with anybody who's a traditional, obvious fullback type. And I would say the main reason is probably in the high school level, there's not a whole lot of those guys around anymore. Um, the college game has sort of taken heed from the high school game in that the spread offenses are just simple to run, and most high schools nowadays run some variation of the spread offense. And so fullbacks are a dead breed in high school football. You don't see a lot of those guys. Now, if you're going to have a fullback, 
at the college level, you tend to probably bring him over from another position uh, from the high school level, a guy that played linebacker, a guy that played uh, maybe running back and is a little big and you can put weight on him, uh, maybe a tight end at the high school level. That's just a shorter guy that played tight end, but, you know, in, in the college level, you want to put him more at a fullback role. Um, in USC, we just haven't heard a lot about those kind of guys popping up and, and somebody that maybe committed at a position, you go, well, maybe he could play fullback. Uh, nobody on the board right now that, that really signifies that kind of player. Um, doesn't mean that there's a guy that they might have hidden away somewhere. I mean, obviously, if you have a guy that's playing another position, he could be a two-star outside linebacker somewhere in, you know, random Central Valley, California, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, you know, you can bring him in as a fullback and you feel like he's going to be a good fullback and you kind of put him in that that uh, that role at USC. Uh, but at this point, yeah, it, it's a dying breed. And I think with USC, the trend has been more towards a halfback and using more of a halfback in the offense. And, again, that was with Steve Sarkeesian's offense. We're really not sure what Clay Helton's office is, offense is going to look like going forward. Uh, but Nasir Upshur, uh, 6'3", 240-pound tight end, uh, from Philadelphia, Imhotep High School, uh, is a guy that's going to officially visit USC in January, and he's a guy that sort of fits more of that halfback role. He's not real tall. He's really, you know, 6'2", probably more accurately, but listed 6'3", 240, and a guy that's sort of, you know, a short, stubby, agile, quick tight end that you could see playing behind the line of scrimmage in certain situations and maybe throwing them the ball out of the backfield. Not a guy that's probably going to run the ball, but a guy that you could probably throw the ball to out of the backfield. And I think that's really sort of where I think USC probably still goes, even with Clay Helton. That's, that's conjecture on my point, just sort of looking at what they're doing recruiting-wise and what they have on the roster. Um, but I think college football in general, if you're going to run the ball and you want to be a smash-mouth team, you do what Ohio State does. And Ohio State doesn't really have fullbacks. They use uh, sort of a shorter tight end or a tight end and use him as a wing and put him in motion and, and basically block that way. And if you're not going to do that, you're probably passing the ball 60 times a game in an air raid offense, and you don't even use a tight end, let alone a fullback. So that's sort of where uh, college football is going, I think, nowadays. All right. Uh, we actually had a, a voicemail one I forgot about. So let me play you that one, and then we'll have one more email. So I, I lied. We have one extra question. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. I have a question uh, that I need answered. Uh, when players are being recruited, many times I read about uh, recruits talking about academics being an important aspect of their recruitment. Does USC, when they send out their mailings, include the academics uh, side of or ranking and letting uh, players know where we fit uh, on that scale because many times when I see things, um, often players will say, uh, yeah, I'm going to SC because of their tradition in football, but never mention anything about academics. Can you answer that? I appreciate it. This is Yogi from L.A. Fight On. Yes, the answer to that Yes, they do. Uh, they have so much mail that they send these kids, and it's various things about, you know, it's a private school, and they're ranked this, and they do that. And, and, and more of that tends to come during the visits on campus, whether it be unofficial visits or official visits. They're able to bring them in and have, you know, conferences, and they're having meetings with professors and deans and people within those programs that are able to sort of etch out, hey, this is what we do, this is how we do it, this is where we're ranked, this is why we're the greatest 
every school has some type of statistic that says we're the greatest in this. I mean, every school is number one in business um, according to every school. Uh, so there, there's some of that. But, yeah, they have plenty of that material that they send out. Well, you know, how much the kids read <laughs> is another thing entirely. I hear all the time, uh, you know, after an official visit, uh, a, or even an unofficial visit, a recruit will talk about, wow, I didn't know USC was a private school. And I know they send out pamphlets and material that talks about how USC is a private school and how many uh, students they have per class as opposed to a regular university. So, um, yeah, I know academics is a huge part of it, uh, always a huge part with USC. And not just academics as, you know, this is what we offer and this is what we're rated, but also academics from the standpoint of how it impacts your life post-graduation. I mean, USC is very, very good at emphasizing how uh, that degree gets you connections and the alumni allow you opportunities outside of the college and in life when you're trying to get a real job, nine to five. Everybody, you know, that's going to USC that's playing football thinks they're going to go to the NFL, but obviously that's a big fallback and, and you want to have uh, some, some comfort in knowing, hey, you know, I'm getting a degree that's actually going to mean something in Southern California, if not globally, which, you know, a lot of degrees don't. You know, if you, you go in Auburn and, I, you know, I don't want to denigrate Auburn's, uh, you know, degree, but if you let, you're going to live in the area, you know, in, in uh, Georgia or maybe Alabama, maybe Tennessee, that Auburn degree is probably not going to hold lots of weight in New York City or Los Angeles or Seattle, et cetera, et cetera. So USC is always about, hey, you know, this is a global degree. This is something that's going to, you know, impress people beyond just the confines of, you know, this little square radius mile. Okay, we got one last one. It says, this is on uh, wide receiver recruiting, despite the apparent quality of the 2016 class for wide receivers, would you agree none are deep threats? Uh, from what I can see, said Velas Jones included, uh, as he doesn't have college-level burner speed, with Max Brown likely the quarterback for two to three years. Actually, that'd be two because he's only got two years left. And throwing a superb deep ball, don't we need a wide receiver with burner speed? McKinley and Swain are very talented, but they don't fit this need. That's from Bear Secutor. I do agree with that, and that's really where Jones comes in uh, as opposed to the other receivers they have. I mean, none of those guys have legit timed 4-4 speed. You know, Vaughn's is not that guy. Kevon Sidney, although he's not a big guy, isn't that guy either. He's, he's really, time-wise, has not put up very impressive times in terms of his speed. Um, Michael Pittman might actually be the fastest guy that they've got committed outside of Jones, uh, which is interesting. Like, he is a big athlete. Big he is dude. a very big good athlete um and so it's a valid point and, and you you talk about you know where they are right now with the, the speed on the roster right now um you know i think you know josh immature baby you know that's a guy that's running a four four five high four fours um at the opening and, and a big guy um uh, he's certainly a guy that can that can fill that juju role with a little more speed than juju has uh, but if you look on the roster now, you know, the most successful quarter or receiver that they have is Juju Smith, and he's not necessarily a, a, a burner either. Unique body type, physical, possession type receiver, but he's able to get deep. I mean, we've seen him time and time again be able to get deep, and you go, hey, Juju's not really a burner guy. He's a 4'6", four, 4'7", four, guy. Um, so I guess it's, you know, it's the difference between football speed and track speed, but I do think it's a valid point. Now the question would be, who would you go after in this class that has that legit speed? USC went after Theo Howard. He's a guy that's got that legit speed, uh, but it looks like he's going to UCLA, and, and that's going to play out here pretty soon because he's going to be a mid-year grad. Um, there's not a lot of other guys out there that are quality guys locally or even nationally in this class that are big-time, fast, 
um, you know, top-end speed type receivers. USC is sort of trying to recruit uh, Benjamin Victor uh, from Cocoa Creek, uh, Florida, four-star uh, offensive, uh, four-star wide receiver, um, but a guy that it's it's a long shot to be able to get him on campus again, unless you're you know the coaching moves here. Somebody somebody has a connection there, and then it sometimes happens. You know, you bring in a coach, and all of a sudden, yeah, he's really good with the high school coaches there, and blah blah blah. And next thing you know, you know, all of a sudden you're in on a recruitment that you were completely on the outside looking in of before. Uh, but um, yeah, that's that's one question about this uh, receiving core. There's a lot of possession receivers here. You know, it's a group of guys that are all sort of possession receivers, and it's not really a mixed match of. Yeah, this guy does this really well. This guy does that really well. Um, certainly with, with Trevon Sidney, he's agile. He's got great finesse skill in space. Um, but his times don't suggest a guy that's going to be a vertical threat. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's complete possession receiver. Times are not there to suggest he's going to be a vertical threat. He is a guy that can jump over people. I mean, vertical in terms of that, he can <laughs> certainly jump over people and, and get 50-50 balls, great hands. Uh, but not, but not, he's a position receiver and slightly built, uh, which we talked about, you know, in terms of question marks to him. Uh, Josh Shimitor Bebe is, is a, is a fantastic athlete, uh, a guy that has pretty good times, um, but really a stronger, powerful type possession receiver. Again, sort of, sort of like Juju, but a little more, a little more, a little more speed, probably top end. Um, and then Michael Pittman, who's just a big, strong athlete, uh, a guy that could end up playing receiver, could end up playing some other position, um, but certainly with his size and his speed, just sort of a raw athlete you can throw out there, and um, who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe you know, with more coaching and everything, he becomes Mike Williams. Um, he would again be a guy that probably speed-wise a little bit faster, uh, but certainly a big body and a guy that uh, he's had a tremendous year this past year. I mean, he's definitely put up the numbers. Uh, maybe not from a, a speed standpoint, but from just a production standpoint, that have been very impressive. All right, Gerard, awesome. It was. Uh, it's been a little while. Well, I mean, we did like one last week, but this was more. More of the recruiting speed that the people have been asking for. So they, they keep asking us on Twitter. So glad, uh, glad you could come on and, and share a bunch of recruiting insight and all of that. Yeah, definitely. We got the dead period coming up and, you know, maybe it's a, a dead period for recruiting news. Maybe not. You just never know. Sometimes some kid, you know, decides he's going to come in on Christmas, which is always enjoyable for me. <laughs> um, but, uh, hopefully not. <laughs> George Uko did that one year. Yeah. Was, I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. That was annoying. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, we'll kind of have to see. It's probably going to be, I think, a real dead period for USC because a lot of this is going to be, A, focusing on the bowl game. Clay Allen wants to get off a good start. I mean, you, you already lost to, to Stanford, got blown out by them in the Pac-12 championship game. You can't come out in the bowl game and have a bad showing versus Wisconsin because, I mean, we talked about, you know, kind of arriving on the hot seat. That would not be a good way to start off. Or end this, sort of end the season, but start off his coaching career at USC as a real full-time head coach. And then you know you've got Alabama to open up the season last year. So to be 0-3 after being named head coach would be um, that would be sort of a precedent set. I think I don't I don't know. I mean at USC at least that would that'd be tough. Um, yeah. But obviously you know those are three big games, and USC wants to focus and get some momentum, win this bowl game. Uh, so there'll be a lot of focus on that, and obviously get some coaches hired. You know, that's probably going to be what isn't going to be the dead period. It's going to be getting interviews in and trying to figure out going into January what this coaching staff is going to look like. All right. Well, Gerard, thanks again for coming on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at GMart Live. Does a great job, of course, on USCFootball.com. Does a better job on the Peristyle answering all your questions there. But it's fun. We get to have him answer some questions here on the Peristyle podcast. Don't forget, we're going to have a Trojans Live Wednesday night. 
uh, with me and Tony D. So that's 7 p.m. Check uscfootball.com for more on that. I'll probably do a solo podcast on Thursday. That I think that'll probably be it for the week for podcasts. And we'll have our war room again on Friday, even though we did a war room on Tuesday. So check out uscfootball.com. We'll keep you up to date on everything going on with USC and USC recruiting. Thanks for tuning in. And here's a quick message from Circle Marketing. Welcome back to the show, folks. We're downtown today looking for small business owners. Here's one now. Excuse me, who's handling the marketing for your business? Marketing? My nephew did our Facebook page and the website, but I didn't really see results. I'm just too busy trying to build my business to focus on that stuff. Maybe I have to hire a professional. Well, did you know Circle Marketing's entire team of marketing experts can help you grow your business? Really? But can Circle Marketing handle my social media updates? Yes. New website design? Yep. Online advertising? Sure thing. Make a professional video? Oh, yeah. Help me with marketing strategy? Absolutely. Can they walk my dog, Harriet? Um, no, that's not marketing. Oh, okay. Well, we were on a roll there. So where can I find more information about Circle Marketing? That's easy. Go to circlemarketing.com. When you're ready to hire a professional, full-service marketing company, contact Circle Marketing. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.